Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast Extras. This episode, we expand our LN2 adventures with the X299 Dark and 980 Tide Kingpin Edition. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren McKinney. Dennis, this month, the podcast and podcast extra are all about our overclocking adventures. In particular, we had the opportunity to do some overclocking with LN2 at the Boise Land. So if you haven't checked out our main podcast, dang it, pause right now and go check it out. Okay, back? Well, fantastic, because Dennis, that's not the only overclocking we did this month. Let's talk about the Dark Horse Contender, the second system. The second system, the EVGA X299 Dark. This is a brainchild of Mr. Kingpin and EVGA to capture the essence of overclocking the LGA 2066. The 2066. Now, let's walk through the system a little bit because before we do any overclocking, we got to talk about the system. That's just what we do here. So talk us through the build. What do we use for this particular attempt at the X299 Dark? Okay, well, I will link in the show notes the review to the X299 Dark, and that has a, the system specs, basically. So you can check that out. But for the overclocking, what I did was the EVGA X299 Dark. I paired that with a Core i9-7900X, 10-core processor, 20 threads, pretty darn hot. Pretty darn hot? Pretty darn hot. And then for the video card, I was using a 980 Ti, but I was using two different 980 Ti's. We'll talk about the second one a little bit later. Interesting. Now, how does this differ from the build that we talked about in the main show? Oh, in the main show, we were talking about the Apex 299, and we were pairing that with a Core i7-7740X. A lot of numbers. Basically, we have a KB Lake CPU, and with the Core i9, we have the Skylake variant that has more cores, more threads, and is generally a lot faster. But it overclocks considerably different, whereas the KB Lake will actually, it likes to, it likes to go fast. We were running 6 gigahertz with the Skylake version of it doesn't go that quick. Now, one thing I want to talk about is there is something special about the X299 Dark. Now, I know I listened to you on the EVGA podcast. Yes. And you called out this particular board because it is not just a regular X299. It is better. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So it is designed for overclocking. It Much like the Apex was designed with overclocking in mind, the Dark was designed for the sole purpose of overclocking. It has some pretty beefy heat sinks on it. There is a huge VRM heat sink on top of the VRM that is actually designed in thin fin variant with two fans on it. So it's a lot like a CPU cooler, very, very efficient. It also has a very thick heat sink on the back that I had to modify my bench table to actually get it to fit, which is pretty crazy. There's a heat pipe from there that goes underneath the shroud that you don't normally see because there's a a shroud that covers the IO portion of it and also over the M.2 slots. And then there's a fan that actually cools the M.2 drives, which you would think that the fan there is to cool the, the chipset or the MCP, but it really is designed primarily just to move air over the NVMe drives. It's pretty crazy. Well, that's a pretty impressive feature list, but this is starting to sound a little bit about something maybe unicorny. How available is this board? Because I know that the Apex motherboard is a pretty popular board, readily available, and in fact, a lot of record-seconding overclocks are being accomplished on that board. 
But your description of the 299 Dark makes me feel like it might not be very common or readily available, the hardware unicorn that we so frequently talk about. It's not as unicorny as <laughs> unicorny. <like. laughs> It's not so much like the Kingpin Edition video cards where they are kind of true unicorns that are limited edition. This is a mainstream board, but is designed for the hardcore enthusiast. I mean, to get the most out of this board, you need to be running LN2 on it. You can use it under phase or high-end water cooling and get all of the advantages, but the board is like $400. Youch. And unless you're going to pair it with a Core i9 CPU or even the the XE that, you know, the $2,000 CPU, you're not going to be getting basically what you put in to get the board for performance. You know how that works? Right, right. So now that's a pretty impressive, uh, wow, investment, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not designed as a retail board either. For instance, with the Apex, it comes with full LED or full RGB LED. Sorry about that. With the, the Asus Aura, the dark, no LEDs. So it truly is dark. It truly is. <laughs> well, not completely dark because it does have status LEDs. There's LEDs under each one of the PCI Express slots to let you know which one's populated. There's status lights to let you know what systems on the board are active and actually operating correctly. There's dual digit, uh, well, four digit LED display that gives you the postcodes, but it will also flash voltages while you're overclocking. Or actually just running the system. So it'll go and flash with the CPU voltages. It'll flash with the the um, VRM voltages, stuff like that. Well, I know in the past we've talked a lot about EVGA and their custom overclocking equipment. And you're kind of reminding me of the EVGA bot tools, right? Yeah, EVBot. The EVBot. So is there a, an equivalent or an integration for that particular tool? Is that a is that a now an obsolete function? Sadly, EVBot is obsolete. Oh, no. Um they're really hard to find. I was lucky enough to get one and I paid a lot of money for it because I think the person selling it knew that it was a Halo unicorn product, but it was new in box. So I was able to go and flash the, the images on it that I needed. But the EVBot is kind of also like taking a, uh, I don't know, like a Scud missile to take <laughs> out a tent. It's really, if you know how to use it and you you have everything working the way it's supposed to, it's really super powerful. But I find that the software tools are much more reliable. So you have the Elite X, which is the EVGA software overclocking tool that will overclock the motherboard. And then you have Precision XOC, which will overclock video cards. Those two things together will control the entire board minus a lot some of the voltages. Now, interesting. I know you just reviewed a keyboard also that supported some of those tools mm -hmm. so the evga bot the hardware bot the what bot ev bot the ev bot uh for those of folks at home is a is a hardware card right it's a yeah it's a hardware handheld device that actually it connects via a proprietary plug to hardware that supports it uh, a lot of the video cards still support it um motherboards used to but not so much anymore so that's more of an obsolete tool that's being replaced by this new infrastructure that's more software-based, mm -hmm. and the displays are appearing everywhere, keyboards and software-based as well. Yes. So there isn't a a separation, but the EVGA tools in general have a more specific, more overclocked focus to them, and I think mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. Yeah. But you did mention another unicorn that I want to talk about a little bit too, 
and that is the GTX 980 Ti Kingpin Edition. Oh, yes, the Kingpin Edition card. Now, this 980 Ti Kingpin, I know, has been quite the search for you. We talk a little bit about this in the main episode, too, but I want to go a little further because, hey, it's an extra and why not? Yes. So let's talk about your, shall we say, collection of video oh, my, cards. My collection. And let's talk about the future of the Kingpin Edition cards. So first of all, tell me about your Kingpin collection. You really want to hear about my Kingpin collection? Well, just, uh, yeah. I, I sound like a fanboy of Mr. Vince. Well, I, you know, but there's a reason for that. And maybe that's a good place to start. So why is the Kingpin Edition so attractive? Well, all right. You got it out of me. <laughs> the Kingpin Edition cards... And some of the early, early classifieds and were... The Lightnings, not forget the Lightnings. Yeah, but that's from MSI. Well, that's true. We're, we're jumping brands here. All right. So the, the early classified, like the GTX 580, was a card that was designed from the factory to handle any kind of overclocking out of the box. Before that, you would have to take sawn off back of the card, remove the VRM and put another VRM on there so that you could control voltages, make sure that enough current was going to the GPU, make sure that you had control over memory controllers, stuff like that. Now, hold on. Did you just say saw off a piece of the card? Because I want to make sure that I heard that correctly. Yeah. Saw off with like a Dremel. Yow. Okay. Well, I can see why I didn't take that particular approach to overclocking. Yeah. So to get the most out of GPUs, then the cards, the boards, whatever you want to call them, they were somewhat locked from NVIDIA to the point where they were being released with the bare minimum that was required to run the GPU. And in some cases that was a six phase VRM. VRMs like that run really, really hot and they tend to burn up. Okay. So what's a VRM? VRM. The voltage regulation module or something like that. That's basically good. It's the power supply that runs the card. Okay. It's the the thing that has a big heatsink on it to cool it off. It's pretty darn cool, actually. So with the classified card, EVGA added a huge VRM to the card. And then they added controls via the EV bot so that you could control all the major voltages to the GPU, to the memory, to the I.O so that you could get the most out of that card with the idea and intent that you'd be putting an LN2 evaporator on there and running it as fast as you possibly could. How does that compare to like the Toxics and the other special edition cards though? Because it sounds like it's a little bit different. Yeah, well, right now I'm still talking a little bit about the 580s and that was several generations ago. Okay. The Toxics and the Lightnings, for instance, those are cars that are designed with enhanced VRMs following the EVGA trend that allow you some of that voltage control if you unlock the card. So you have to get in there and actually do some hardware modifications. The VRM is there, the electrical components are there, you just have to get in and start tweaking. EVGA was able to do that with just with the EVBot tool. So I think I'm starting to understand why the Kingpin is so desirable. So let's step back a little bit to mm -hmm. the 980 Ti and tell us a little bit about your search or your reason for picking up that particular card. Well. One, it was a kingpin card. It was one of the an other card like that that got away. I've already talked about the the 780 tie that I re was going to review the kingpin edition one. Right. It was the first one, the first edition of the of that, and I had issues with it. So I sent it back to EVJ. It went back to Vince. 
Vince say, hey, this is the best card I've ever seen. I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> right. And it disappeared. I never saw the card again. Oh, sad. Now, that happens sometimes because hardware is very limited, and that card is especially limited, a unicorn, if you will. Yes. I, I still think it went to Germany, but I'm not going to dwell. No. Several years later, I was able to find the 780 in Sun Valley, which is something we mentioned in the main show. I was able to find the 980 tie at a local land party. It was one that um, EVGA had very tight supplies of their Kingpin Edition cards, partially because of crackdowns from NVIDIA, which is something we can talk about a little bit later. But, you know, NVIDIA says, hey, we love overclocking, but we do anything possible to make sure the manufacturers don't add that feature. Terrific. Now, I know that we've talked a little bit, maybe not in the podcast, but it's worth noting. Now, the... Kingpin Edition seems to be a bit of a, well, end-of-life product now, I guess, for lack of a better term. There mm -hmm. there may not be a continuation of this, and we've speculated on this before, but what is the story with these special cards, these unicorns, and why they're becoming so difficult to find? What's the future look like? Well, we kind of have to look at the past to look at the future because it kind of is all spelled out, right? So we had the 780 high Kingpin Edition card. It's the first generation of this out-of-box overclocking card and is a continuation of the classifieds and whatnot. Um, later on, we had the 980s and the 980 ties. Some of those were, these are the Kepler-based chips. They sold different versions of it that had uh, high ASIC and low ASIC, and they would be priced accordingly. The 980 tie Kingpin was one of those that had a tier structure. So if you wanted an 80% ASIC, you would pay almost $900 for it. If you wanted a 90% ASIC, and the ASIC is the binning of the chip. So it's okay. the quality of the chip. And if you get a lower quality one, it needs more voltage to reach higher clocks. And in some cases it's more stable at LN2 temperatures, stuff like that. Um, but for a person who wanted to buy one off the shelf, you pay a lot of extra money to get one of those cards. That leaves EVGA with a lot of extra stock in cards that are really difficult to move. So they don't make as many of them. And the laws of supply and demand kind of dictate that, well, we need to be able to move product to make money. So then they started creating like the For the Win cards that had an expanded VRM. Everything that you need for overclocking plus the EV bot tool, but not the prestige and extra cost associated with the development of the classified cards and the Kingpin edition cards. Move fast forward into the 1080 realm. We have a 1080 Thai Kingpin edition card. It has all the bells and whistles, a brand new VRM, the fancy um, gold surround, like what you have on the X299 Dark. Again, they're really, really expensive. And now with the miners taking over, nobody can buy them. Yeah, that's very true. But we did have the opportunity to put at least some of these cards through the paces. And mm -hmm. in this particular build, to bring it back to the overclocking, Yes, we did the 980 tie. And I know that I introduced some new challenges to how this was built and how it overclocked. So let's talk a little bit about that. So what did bringing the 980 tie to this particular build bring to the table? Well, it brought together a whole slew of stuff that was relevant like two years ago. Oh, no. So... I've already talked about the 980 Tai being an out-of-box overclocker. Um, there's several forum threads on Kingpin Cooling that talk about the fact that you can overclock out of the box. Right. The problem is um, 
due to NVIDIA rules, they can't sell or give you any of those tools when you buy the card. So you have to go to the third party tools. So you have to get uh, a software tool, unless you have an EBBOT, right? a software tool to control voltages. Those voltages only work to a certain point because there are internal um, protections against over voltage and over current. So you need to use a different BIOS. And in this case, you have to download a special one to enable the extreme overclocking that basically turns off all of the protections. It doesn't have any power limits in there. So it will accept as much current, as much voltage into the card. Obviously it voids the warranty with the intent of doing LN2 overclocking with it, reaching, you know, speeds of 2000 megahertz plus. Now, hold on. That seems counterproductive. We release a card for the sole intent of LN2 overclocking. Mm -hmm. You pay extra for the privilege, a lot extra, but in order to get it to work, you have to sleuth out some tools that aren't officially supported. Right. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And, and all of that is to get around the NVIDIA, um, engine saying, Hey, you can use our chip. You can put it on whatever board you want, but you can't do this and you can't do that. But by releasing the card with triple BIOS support, which is what the 980 Ti Kingpin Edition has, the LN2 BIOS that comes with it factory increases the power limit. So it makes the card a lot hotter. It also increases the core clock and the memory clock. And it allows mild overclocking. So you can do mild LN2 on it, but it will only reach a certain point before it starts to fizzle out. Okay. All right. I think I see. So we got all these tools. That's what's important. Yes. I found all the tools because they're in the forum threads and nobody's actually deleted them, which is kind of cool. That's a good sign. So if you're still looking for one of these cards, they're out there. Although you have to be careful not to get one that's been abused. (laughs) With that being said, uh, we talked a little bit about this in the main show, but maybe just to recap, in this particular build, you overclocked not just the system, but also the video card, which is a little bit different than what we talked about in the main show. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what's different in the preparation and the equipment that's used to overclock this particular build and that Kingpin card. Okay, so... The first thing, um, insulation. Insulation is key for running LN2. And video cards have a unique (laughs) problem, if you will, where they sit vertical on a test bench that's laying flat. And you want to keep the GPU cold, but you want the card to be warm. And that makes a, a frost ring to the point where it freezes the card and then it heats up and then it drops water down into the PCI Express slot. No, that can't be good. No, it causes problems. So first thing you got to do is insulate the card as best you can. And I like to use liquid electrical tape. Oh, now that's interesting because with your motherboard, we used the kneaded eraser. So what's mm-hmm. the what's the difference? What do you gain? Well, you gain, well, I like to use kneaded eraser almost everything. Again, because I'm selfish and I like to preserve my hardware. Sure. But with video cards, the um, the kneaded eraser doesn't always stick, partially because of the silicon thermal pads that use on um, on the heat sinks and stuff. The kneaded eraser doesn't stick to that. So I was able to use the liquid electrical tape, and it paints a lot like uh, rubber cement. It's very similar, or painted latex. You know, you can create body suits and stuff out of it. Okay, I see that. So you basically just paint it over the electronics. And once it gets to a certain thickness, it is allow, it allows you to peel it off. Kind of like, um, I don't know, what's that stuff you put on wheels? Nah. 
The, the cleaner, right? No, not the cleaner, the paint stuff. I'm trying to I'm blanking on the name of it now, but, um, Oh, you can paint cars with it too. Anyhow, yeah, rhino lining. No, no, <laughs> that's a little bit more permanent. Anyhow, it's the, uh, the plastic stuff, uh, plasti dip. Oh, there you go. Plasti dip works the same way. Um, you get it layered up enough and then it's thick to the point where you can peel it off. Well, I, the first thing was I wanted red because I can, it's a different color of the PCB picture as well. And I have two pieces in front of us right now. Right. One, one of them is black. And this is the one that I actually overclocked with. And then here's this red one. Feel the difference. And this is radio, so you're going to have to imagine. Yeah, you'll have to take pictures here. Though. Well, you know, the, the red seems more substantial and definitely smoother. Yes. But the black, um, I don't know, the consistency is the same, maybe. A little uh, bit the I, same. So the, the black isn't nearly as thick because I was kind of in a hurry because I had to do this twice. But the red stuff... It was a different brand. And when I was painting it on there, it was really, really soupy. It wasn't very thick. It didn't, it spread super thin. And it took like six coats to get it this thick. Wow. How much time are we talking? Like two days. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty bad. And it made the, the lab smell horrible. <laughs> I bet. But with the, the black stuff, it um, was a lot thicker. And I was able to paint on two coats. And it was able to get it to the point where it was like this. So it was insulated. So uh, we know brand matters, I guess. Brand matters. So it, assuming that you like to do uh, liquid electrical tape, um, a lot of people just paint them with Vaseline, and that works as well too. Well, we've talked about the Vaseline in the main episode too. Definite advantages and disadvantages. Yeah. So uh, that protects the electronics, and then I have an insulative layer, some insulating foam that I put on the back of the card once you mount the container. And then you cover the container in paper towel because it's a lot thinner than the CPU container where you can put more insulation on it. So put some paper on there to capture the frost. And then I try to get as much of it around the PCI Express slot as I can right. so that I can capture all the water that's out of that. And uh, yeah, then you can get started. Um, so it sounds like a little bit of extra effort to get the video card done. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about results. Now you got this thing prepped and running. You had the LN2. Mm -hmm. You had the pots, and I'm assuming these are nice copper pots. Yeah. And so all that sounds really good, but let's talk results. How did the Kingpin Edition 980 Ti perform? Uh, mixed. I, I sound depressed because <laughs> um, I went into this thinking, hey, I should be able to run two gigahertz out of the box, no problem. That's what this card's designed for. I have all the equipment to make that happen. And I, you know, I started at the beginning, I start steps. So when you're overclocking a video card, you start low, you know, basically add like 100 megahertz to the GPU. You run through a benchmark at a certain voltage and you, you record the score. You stop it and you do 200 megahertz and then you run it. So you don't have to run the whole benchmark, but just kind of sections of it, and you work in steps. And that's how you can map the GPU to see what speeds work and what voltages you need. So that way you're not using too much voltage and you're not trying to kill it as you're going. Okay. That works pretty well. I got to the point where I needed to have the GPU at negative 60 degrees centigrade to actually complete the benchmark. Well, that should be achievable. We're talking LN2 here. We are talking LN2. The problem was when it got to negative 60, it cold bugged. 
Well, wait a minute. Now that shouldn't be happening. This is designed for Elentio. Exactly. And nowhere have I seen that the 980 tie would actually cold bug, even non-EVGA versions of it. So I'm like, what the heck is going on? And I started looking around, reading in the forum threads. Several other people were talking about the screen going gray. I'm like, okay, so I've seen gray screen before and I was running a DVI connector. That's a digital connection. Well, that requires a chip to actually run. So a lot of overclockers will go and run the D sub, the blue um, plug. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's a little old school. Yeah. Kind of like hooking up a PS2 keyboard maybe. Yeah, pretty much. But that's the, the analog connection. And once I plug that in, I was able to run and Hey, I got the gray screen. It's like, oh, okay, cool. So switched over and like, okay, so now I'm looking, why is it not freezing up and not working when the gray screen kicks in? And it took a long time to figure out that it was driver dependent. What? No, that uh, doesn't make sense either because drivers are supposed to get more efficient as we go, right? That's what NVIDIA tells us. That's what everybody tells us. You know, you download a new game, update your driver to exactly. get the best performance. So I was running the uh, Windows 10 driver that was appropriate for that time frame, and it was a problem. I'm just like, hmm. So I started reading about that, and it turned out that there was... I forget the numbers, like 353 or something like that. That driver version would overclock with the Kingpin card. The next driver revision after that would cause the gray screens. Wow, that seems really counterproductive. Why would they do something like that? NVIDIA doesn't like overclocking. What? That's the story I'm going to stick to. I have no idea <laughs> if that's actually what the case is, but I think a lot of overclockers may agree that for that particular card, with that particular driver, the way that the hardware is implemented the driver was overriding and killing it when it hit negative 60 for some reason or another. I rolled back to that 535 driver or 353 driver, whichever one it was. I'll put it in the show notes. And lo and behold, I was able to go negative 160, full voltage, full clocks, no problem. Wow, that is quite a difference. And to think it was only driver-based. Yeah. You know, I think, honestly, feel like the driver shouldn't make that much difference. And sort of feels silly every time you update the driver for these incremental game fixes. Mm -hmm. But that's probably the biggest impact I have ever heard. So very odd. But yeah. again, this is video card and specific video card dependent. So you, know, you probably won't have this problem with a standard card, a standard driver. No, you shouldn't have that. But then, you know, Kepler was the last real, what I call real GPU that you could tweak and overclock. When you get to Pascal, there was, you know, internal voltage controllers and stuff like that to the point where 2000 megahertz, 2100 megahertz, that was the limit. You couldn't go much faster than that without having special conditions and special chips. With Kepler, the sky was the limit. We were hitting 2002 gigahertz, basically, 980 ties with LN2 and the right voltage can bomb. I can see why you'd hunt down these older Kingpin Edition cards now with that kind of performance, Yeah, especially if you have the right driver pairing. Mm -hmm. Now, I wonder if we're going to see, and we've already talked about whether or not we may see a Kingpin Edition in the next version of the card, whether it be 2070s or or whatever the next generation is, and, and they're coming soon, maybe even this year. Yeah, hopefully we'll see some more additions coming out. You know, a lot of manufacturers are getting away from overclocking specific hardware. It used to be overclocking and gaming were the ultra high end. But as we saw at CES, gaming has really become more of a mainstream 
and that kind of makes sense from a from a market money standpoint you know get the the gaming hardware down to the masses that can actually afford it and want to buy it instead of making this halo product and overclocking has just kind of hit the wayside because you know there's not a lot of external support there's extra costs involved there's cost of entry it becomes a problem where you're sitting on hardware and you're doing special events trying to sell the hardware and you know it isn't as popular as it used to be i know we talk a lot about the different tiers of video cards and processors and you know in video cards particularly we have factory overclocking and a lot of folks i mean that's the defining factor but it's not unlike when you purchase a car and you just option a little bit of extra equipment maybe a little bit of performance or a little horsepower but you're not planning on doing anything besides purchasing it Mm -hmm. and i think folks have become accustomed to that now great for marketing but not so great for overclocking no but that being said, we did build the system. We got the 299 Dart going with the 7900X and the Kingpin Edition and all of that really exciting and fun hardware under LN2, but we haven't talked about the results. The results. And, of course, we're all about results here. How did we do? We, we of course, set some world records. We brought home the crown. They're still talking about it. Uh, You're giving me a kind of a negative bad. No, actually, we had I had fun. Hey, and that's what counts, right? Yeah. Because in this hobby, why would you do it if it wasn't fun? Exactly. So speaking of scores, so I did submit a couple of hardware bot scores. Uh, the one that I'm most proud of was a Firestrike Extreme. And I'm proud of it because it was a one and done. Nice. Um, because I was playing around with 3D Mark 11 the entire time that I was trying to debug the black screen, blue, you know, whatever was happening to the card trying to get those things figured out, figure out what the max clock was, which was two gigahertz, which was pretty cool. Um, Yeah, I was limited. Yeah, it doesn't (laughs) really matter. Anyhow, I was able to hit two gigahertz with the card. I was able to complete the benchmark at 1950, so I had to back it down. And I was able to submit a, a, a really good score. I think it was in the top 20 for 3D Mark 11. At that point, I was out of LN2 which was, you know, one of the reasons I was going video card and CPU was to burn all the, the LN2 so I could get rid of it and have fun in the process, right? I was down to my last four liters. Wow, okay. And I knew exactly what clocks I needed to set on the CPU, on the GPU. I knew how to bring it down to the right temperature, the right voltages, step it down so I could actually run the benchmark. Got all that set and ran it. 1900 megahertz through Firestrike Extreme completed and I was in I think top 15 almost top 10 very nice not bad yeah unfortunately with the uh with the scores or the clocks that I had on the GPU and the clocks I had on the CPU I should have been much much higher and uh, as part of the review I found out that somehow I dropped two cores oh no so my CPU was down lower than it should have been so I'm going to be revisiting that benchmark and this card in the future next time I get some LN2 in the lab so that I can actually bring it up to where it needs to be. Wow. So that's a pretty exciting amount of stories with some pretty cool hardware there. But I want to loop back again to the classifieds and the X299 darks and these specialty overhawking equipment. Mm-hmm. So in general... Would you say that you get your money's worth from an overclocking perspective? Are these cards worth seeking out? What kind of person should be looking for a classified card and a specialty 
card like the 299 dark is this really a high-end mainstream or is it something more i'm gonna say it's it's high-end mainstream it's very niche i mean the stuff that we do at hardware time is a very niche thing it's not mainstream like it used to be but anybody that is interested in computer hardware is interested in the way that components go together is really interested in exploring overclocking these products are what you need to have to have an enjoyable experience you can do overclocking with just a standard gaming board but it's not going to give you the same controls that some of these high-end boards are going to give you because they're designed for that that's not to say you can't get around it but it's going to be a bit of a challenge you're going to have to start breaking out the soldering iron and put some trimmers on there to adjust voltages to what you need to have but if you get a classified card a kingpin edition card lightning card some of them from what is it the glax you know it's <laughs> in china they're white um these are designed they're specially designed products to help you get there everything is there all you have to do is unlock it i think it's important to point out that these products aren't just good under LN2, but they're good all the time. The pinnacle maybe of these products and the pinnacle of these generations. So if you're really seeking the best, these are the products that you'll seek out. And I think that it's not just under LN2, and I want to really emphasize that. If you want the best performance and you have the pocketbook to support it, seek out these kingpin cards, these dark cards, because as long as we continue to purchase them, They'll continue to support them, and that mm -hmm. keeps these products alive and keeps them from being unicorns. Yes. And with that in mind, check back in and see that next run of the Kingpin Edition, and hopefully we'll be breaking some records again soon here at the Asylum. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook. This has been an Angel Lane production, copyright 2018. Thanks for listening.